Welcome to the Fort, La- Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Sep Series. So let's have our joke now. Here's Noah. Good evening, everybody. My name's Noah, and I will be your alcoholic comedian tonight. This is your joke. You might be an alcoholic if... One, the vodka you're drinking reminds you of the taste of a fine aftershave. Two, you're lying in your waterbed all warm and comfy when you remember you didn't have a waterbed. <laughs> the end. Thanks, Noah. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Dana. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all your devices that'll make noise that might distract anybody else, and take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, we'll start the meditation.
Now, would you please join me in the fog light prayer? And if you don't know it, it's on the screens to the left and the right of me. God, let your light shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost in mind can find There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries for those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Brian to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what it is. Good evening. My name is Brian, alcoholic. Uh, spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics such transformations though frequent are by no means the rule most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. 
He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you, Brian. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. So tonight we have Bobby. Um, I've been hearing quite a few of you talk about how excited you are to hear her. I know she's an active member of our community, and I am very much looking forward to what she has to say this evening. So let's please welcome her. I'm always so impressed with this meeting. It's like lights, camera, action. I got a little earpiece. Hi, people on the Zoom. Last year, you guys didn't have that. I thought it was so cool. Hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic. I'm impressed with myself right now. And uh, my name is Bobby. There's a lot going on up here. Somebody said, is, there, is this meeting a Zoom meeting because I won't be able to make it? I said, no, it's not. And then I saw like random recovery uh, pages like posting my flyer and I'm like who are these people posting the flyer and then I'm like everybody's talking about I'll be on zoom I'm like there's no zoom and I saw on the flyer it said zoom I was like wait a minute there is a zoom I'm, I'm such a liar I'm so sorry I didn't know there was a zoom I didn't remember zoom last year but Mike did reassure me there was no zoom the last time I did a step series here so I'm not crazy um, anyways I'm always impressed with this meeting why few reasons it's clean the audio is amazing. The visuals are amazing. And it's in a beautiful sanctuary. They pray on their knees before the meeting starts. I mean, it can't get any better. People walk up to you right before the meeting starts and hands you gifts. They have fresh bottle of water for you. Oh, my gosh. If you're ever asked to speak here, make sure you say yes. Anyways, I'm so honored and privileged to come out into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and not only share my experience, strength, and hope, but hopefully be able to relay the information knowledge that I received from working through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. We were just talking about it out here in the, uh, the audience right before I came up. You know, uh, the conversation, the topic's been coming up for the last couple of days about, well, I went through the steps, I need to go through them again. You know, and I think that sometimes we get a little, you know, misinformed I think what happens is we, we, we go through the steps once and we think we're supposed to be able to be like a professor of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's just not that way, you know? How, how did I do this? This is really simple. A girl who had 10 months sober, 10 months sober, took me through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 and 12. She said, highlight this. I said, why? She goes, because I did. I said, okay. <laughs> she said, write this down. I said, okay, why? Because I wrote this down. I was like, okay. 
And it took me, I don't know, five, six, seven months maybe to get through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 and 12. And then she's like, okay, now go share it with other people. I'm like, huh? I don't even know what, I, what to say to people. She's like, you do exactly what it is that I did. I was like, perfect. So I met somebody same night, same time that my sponsor did. My first, my first uh, newcomer. I read through the line and I was like, okay, highlight that. She's like, okay, why? I'm like, because I did. Okay. <laughs> Write this down. Why? Because I wrote it down. Okay. And it worked. And the crazy things started to happen. I started reading things in the big book I'd never seen before. I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? Of course, I wouldn't tell the newcomer that. But in my head, I was like, whoa, mind blown. I'm going to highlight that in a different color. And then I took another girl through the steps. And I'd be reading. And I'd be like, whoa, where'd that come from? Oh, my gosh, mind blowing. I'm going to highlight that in a different color. And the next thing you know, I took a few girls through the steps. And my big book looked like a rainbow. I had colors all over the place. I started to take my book everywhere with me when I went to a big book study. I did AWOL seven years in a row. I figured out the best way to learn about the 12 steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is to help other people. That's the deal. Like here, you got a baby set of wings, go fly and help others figure it out. And you guys will be figuring it out together. The day that I discovered I was better than somebody was when I started to slip in my own personal recovery. I have to always stay diligent in remembering where it is that I come from. I never want to be better than or worse than. I need to be right where God put me. Yes, does that... I mean, of course, like some of us have been around longer and we've experienced a lot more pain because of trial and error, but that's just about all it is. We've experienced a little bit of wisdom because we've tried it already a hundred times. It didn't work. So we're here to tell you, try this instead. There's a saying in recovery, I hear it all the time, I kind of laugh at it, but they say, if you want what I have, you'll do what I do. Hey, girl. And I'm like, for real? The hey, girl, by the way, wasn't part of that, but (laughs) I know this on a podcast, sorry. Let me start that again. There's a saying in recovery that I think is really funny sometimes, and what it is is, if you want what I have, you'll do what I do. I literally don't believe that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like, literally, I don't believe that anymore. Why? Because looking back at my past, and especially my early few years of sobriety, if you did what I did, you probably would not stay sober. I don't know why, for whatever reason, God saw fit that I was not going to pick up a drink and a drug over my stuff. I watch people pick up a drink and a drug all the time over doing the very simple things that I did in recovery. So... Keep coming back. It works if you work it. If you want to learn more about the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, come to meetings just like this one, big book studies, and don't forget to always have a newcomer in your pocket. So guess what? We get to to talk about the most important step of them all. It is the most important step of them all because it's the only step you have to get 100% correct. Everything else is going to be a lifelong process of trial and error, finding, building a relationship with God. But this one particular one, it's, it's kind of like you got to get it right 100%. Because if you can't get this one right, your chances of actually grasping the rest of the program are slim to none. Because our book specifically says for us to drink is to die. 
literally, like years ago when I would do these step studies, I would say, and sometimes to die means go to jail and live your life in prison. Or sometimes to die means walk in the streets of hell and just never sobering up. But I, I really don't even want to say that anymore because literally put a drink into your body, your chances of actually dying are very high. It's in fact not a matter of if, if you're going to die. It's only a matter of when you're going to die. That's statistics in our community these days. So the first step, we got to do it 100%. Just 100%. Alcoholics Anonymous is an abstinent-based program. I know a lot of people don't like that. Ooh, it's so uncomfortable. But I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm actually, I've been abstinent. My story is this. What is sober for me? (laughs) I have to change my story, but it's kind of a funny thing. So for 15 and a half years, I didn't have a drink or a drug for nights, weekends, holidays, for breakup, makeups, and all the in-betweens, through even C-sections. I did not put a drink or a drug in my body. But I recently had to have a quite quickly, I don't want to call it an emergency, but real quick hysterectomy. Just like out of the blue. He said, we are taking that whole reproductive system right up out of your body because if you don't, you're probably going to have cancer. I said, okay, get it out. Get it out. And I said, and by the way, I don't take any narcotics at all. He said, I said, none. I took a nine and a half pound baby out of my stomach, cut her open, pulled her out, didn't take one narcotic. I could do it. Well, guess what, guys? I'm here to say I took me some freaking narcotics. It was the first time I did that in 15 and a half years. <laughs> so I can't even say that I've been completely abstinent. But in our book, what does it say? If we're spiritually fit and we're not going there in a vicarious situation, we'll be okay. And guess what, guys? I was fine. A-OK. Not only did I have my recovery support around me, I had the power of God in that hospital and at my home through the entire recovery process. And as a result of that success, I'm like, I can't believe I had a C-section without narcotics. What a dummy. I'll never do that again. No pun intended, being that I don't have a reproductive system. Anyways. What does it say? We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, dash, that our lives had become unmanageable. Let's talk about this for a minute. Alcoholism is an actual disease. I'm going to call it a disease, an illness. It's scientifically proven that the body of an alcoholic does process alcohol very differently than a non-alcoholic person, right? I'm not going to get too much into the science behind these things, but there it is. However, Alcoholics Anonymous has dumbed this whole program down for us so that we can actually understand alcoholism being in in our own personal experience. I'm going to share with you my personal experience with alcoholism so that you may be able to relate to it on your own terms. Um, Some of my stories might not sound a lot like yours, but grab a hold of some of the feelings that I went through because this is not about, you know, comparing. It's about relating So alcoholism, physical, mental, and spiritual. I want to really dig deep on this physical component because this is the part of the program we do 100%. These other two, it's a work in progress. 
So the physical component, why am I different than normal people? Because when I put alcohol into my body, somehow, some way, it breaks down alcohol. I, my body breaks down alcohol very differently than a non-alcoholic person. That simple. So for a couple of examples here, we'll take two girls who look very much alike. I'll, I'll take a girl that looks like me. I'll pretend like she's a lot younger. Five, seven... She's a white Irish background. She is 130 pounds, um, age 27. They, they look pretty much the same size, same nationality, genetic looking kind of a background. Uh, we put them in a room. We want to do a little experimentation with these two girls with alcohol. So we give the girls both a drink. Let's just say the size of a Budweiser beer. My favorite, by the way. One drink. Drink it. We're going to ask you a few questions through this process. Subject A. How do you feel? I feel okay. I feel like I'm full. Like, you know, like I'm full. Like I just drink all this fluid and it's just sitting in my stomach. Subject B, how do you feel? She's like, I actually feel pretty much like subject A. Okay, here, let's have another one. They both drink bottle number two. Subject A, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really full. Um, can I use the bathroom? Yeah, sure, use the bathroom. Okay, how about you, subject B? I feel the same way. I'm going to use the bathroom after her. Okay, great. Third bottle. Subject A, how do you feel? I don't know. I feel really full. I don't really feel that good. I'm like forcing it down at this point. I, I feel a little eh, a little warm inside. I, I'm actually feeling slightly out of control. I don't like that feeling. I think I'm going to go ahead and call it a night. I don't, I'm not really interested in putting more in. I feel slightly nauseous too, a little bit. Okay. How do you feel, Subject B? Oh, me? Oh, yeah, I'm doing good. Um, so I feel full too. I don't feel nauseous. I feel warm inside. I don't feel out of control. Actually, I'm feeling a little bit more in control than I did before I started. Um, I'm down for number four bottle. Bottle number four. I didn't really like the taste of it, but I'm kind of liking it now. It's going down like water. Okay. You know what? I'm not really good at dancing, but tonight I feel like I'm going to be really good at it. So let's go hit the club. Everybody's been asking me to go. I've been giving all these excuses. I'm like totally ready to do that now. So something here was going on. The body in um, subject A was actually having a normal reaction to alcohol. After drinking a few drinks, the body's like, eh, it's a little too much for you, buddy. Let's go ahead and slow it down here. And if they don't slow it down, it actually goes ahead and starts screaming at you like, uh, don't do that no more. Uh, now you're going to start sweating profusely. Um, I'm going to get you nauseous. Ah, it's time to throw up. Just throw up. You're going to be spinning like crazy. You're going to feel like the room is moving all around you. Stop drinking. And that is a normal reaction to what I'd like to call poison. And the body of the alcoholic, it's a little bit different. So once the individual starts to drink the alcohol, the normal process of breaking down alcohol begins. 
Your body needs certain things to survive. I'm not going to go into all of that. I'm not a dietary um, professional. But let's say it needs, you know, water or um, H2O for this, and it needs um, carbohydrates for that, and sugar goes over here, and the yucky sugar goes over there, and all, all the things start to happen, right? And then the rest of it gets disposed through your urine and feces. Well, here in this process, there is a specific chemical that's located in alcohol called acetate. And acetate actually takes, in the body of an alcoholic, a lot longer to break down than in subject A. So as a result of acetate sitting and soaking inside of an alcoholic body or a human body, that actually creates a craving for more acetate, an actual physical craving for more. And I don't know if you guys can relate to this or not, but here's where my story begins. I was very different from the beginning. From the beginning. And I don't say that because of what most alcoholics identify as being different. Because I think a lot of the re- all those things are just excuses, really. But there's two things that are definitely something unique to the alcoholic. And I had them 100%. Number one, that even from the beginning, I had a higher tolerance to alcohol in all its forms than any of my other friends. What did that mean? That means like I had to drink more to have the same effect others were doing, right? And after a period of this type of behavior, my need for more to get that first initial reaction I had to it became increasingly higher. Second reason, and this one was really, really, really critical for me to identify because I still experience even here in recovery, and I could even separate me from some alcoholics in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll tell you why I think that later. The other thing is that at the end of the day, when I ran out of alcohol or dot, 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 I literally wanted to die. I could not tolerate, tolerate the way that it felt when I ran out of whatever it is that I was consuming, which led a girl like me into the life of a hustle real quick. I was not going to run out. I was going to live to drink and drug or I was going to die. And that started at a very, very, very early age. As a result of feeling like I was going to die at a very, you know, feeling like I was going to die when I ran out of this drink or drug, I would put myself in the absolute worst situations. The absolute worst. But you know what? It talks about in the big book, like we couldn't differentiate the truth from the false. I would be in such a risky situation to continue to consume whatever it was I was consuming that And any other human being on earth with a sober mind would not even step foot into that situation. I look at it now and I I realize I was actually willing to sacrifice my life for five bucks for more of whatever it is that I was doing. And that's a pretty scary thought. And why did I say 
that I could even experience that here in recovery. Anything that I like, anything that I like, when it's coming close to an end, I have that feeling of impending doom set over me. Um, it's gotten a lot better. I will tell you that what I've discovered it was later on in my journey. But it happens. I was there, The last time I spoke here, I gave an example of crab legs. Was anybody here for the crab leg story? Okay. Somebody was here, I'm sure. The first time I had crab legs, they were phenomenal. They were so good. Like, one of my girlfriends turned me on to them. She taught me how to steam them and to season them, and more importantly, how to take the, the shell off of the crab so that you can get the maximum meat on the crab. This is a whole process. I am really good at removing the shell off the crab meat, okay? Because when I find something I like, I do it really well. So here I am. I'm eating my crab legs. I got a couple of pounds in front of my face. I got the butter and the garlic dip that I've created. I am like going to town. I'm cracking, pulling, cracking, pulling. I don't even use a knife. Like I'm a, I'm ruthless at this, right? And the whole time after maybe the second leg, I'm thinking I'm going to finish before her. Slow down. Because if you're done before her, that impending doom is going to make it, it's going to be worse. So I'm already thinking of means and ways to make her feel bad for me, manipulation, to get more off of her plate so we're even. Literally, I was doing that a year sober. And I said, you got more than um, a drink problem. You've got like an inner core, some spiritual stuff going on there. Hence, that our lives had become unmanageable. Do you know that step one is not referring to the stuff you do as a result of drugs and alcohol? I know a lot of people think that, but it, it, it's not. It's, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable with or without alcohol, okay? With or without alcohol. In fact, here's a really crazy thing. You put down alcohol, and the longer you stay away from it, the crazier you get. You're just hopefully, thankfully, not using this anymore to solve your crazy. The longer you stay away from it, the more progressive and fatal alcoholism gets. Isn't that nuts? Alcoholism is progressive and fatal whether you're drinking or not. Crazy. Where did I get alcoholism from? Where did it come from? Did I just have a bad card, car, a bad hand of cards dealt to me? Was it I made a few bad mistakes and it led me into Alcoholics Anonymous? How did I get this disease? A lot of you may be thinking about that. Some of you really don't even care. It's probably the safest place to be is to not really care. But in case you're wondering, I believe that there are a few ways of becoming an alcoholic. And not all of you guys are going to think of dying when you run out of dot, dot, dot. But you still found yourself in this room of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't believe in accidents when you come here to AA. So the three ways that I think of, it's not in the book anywhere. It's just from my observation. Is that number one, sometimes really bad things happen to people here on this earth that causes a lot of discomfort within themselves. 
I'm not going to name those things. You guys can probably all identify with many of them. And then their person is introduced to alcohol at some point on their journey. And then they drink long enough and hard enough to develop a habit. Then they drink long enough and hard enough to develop a physical dependence. And then they go beyond that and they drink long enough and hard enough to alcoholism. Alcoholism is an actual illness that they've created over a period of time of abusing alcohol. There's an invisible line, we like to call it. You, you're safe, not really, but you're safe on this end. And what I mean by safe is that maybe you didn't create the sensitivity and the manifestation of the allergy, which we'll talk about in a minute. But once you're past the line, it's a done deal. It's like taking a cucumber, turning it into the pickle. Your pickle's pickled. You can't get back here now. It's already there. This person drank themselves here. Now they're there. Now, what about the person who really didn't have so much happen to them? In fact, they led a pretty decent life. They had a mom and a dad who were married, still married today. They had loving parents who gave them great morals and values. They were raised in decent neighborhoods and A-plus schools. They were financially stable. They were great in school, whether they were smart or good athletes. They had popularity, whatever. They had a really good life. But maybe somewhere on this path, they kind of fell into the wrong crowd. Maybe, I don't know. They discovered alcohol did for them what they could not do for themselves. So they drank it and drug it long enough to develop a habit. Long and hard enough to develop a physical dependence. Or long and hard enough to develop the disease called alcoholism. Crossing the line becoming a pickle, never being able to go back on the other side. Why? Because they have developed the sensitivity which creates the phenomenon of craving once they put it into their body. An allergy, they call it. We'll talk about that in a minute. The third person. The third person was like alcoholic, the moment of conception. Yeah. I know you are, Mike. (laughs) Literally, mom and dad came together. They were young. My mom was 16. My dad was 17. They made me. What a miracle. I was floating down the fallopian tubes. I was a swimmer. I don't know if you know this, but I won the race. And I was hauling butt down them fallopian tubes, already ready to party. I made it to the egg, victory, yay me. And then I was born. I've been different from the beginning. My dad gave me a sip of beer when I was around three or four around the bonfire with all of his biker friends. It was the best feeling ever. They all oohed and awed me and thought I was the cutest little girl in the whole world drinking that Budweiser, and so did I. I grew up with the conception that hanging out with the bad guys and drinking around a fire and making a scene and being cute at the same time was what it was all about. But when I accidentally 
drank a little bit too much and felt the effects that alcohol had upon me, I never wanted it to end, ever. That brought me to great, great lengths and depths of hell to continue to have that lifestyle. So genetics, sometimes we're genetically dispositioned to this bad boy. Sometimes bad things do happen to us. Sometimes if you're a lot like me, you've checked off every single box there is known to man. Check, 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 check. We call those people the long shot. We had all odds against us. You want to know about people who have all odds against them and are the long shot? You're going to be shocked to hear this. But God wants you and his family to express the miracles he is going to provide you on this walk of life. What does he want? I mean, nothing wrong with a person who doesn't have all these problems. But he's going to use us more than anything else. They say, don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Be grateful to be an alcoholic. I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but alcoholism brought me to the pits of hell. I didn't have a bottom. I had a bottom that was under the bottom that was under the bottom. It was bad. I had my kids. I had three kids. First one, 16. Second one, 20. I don't know, 23. I don't know. I had a bunch of kids. I love them. They're so great. I love them. I, now they're 6, 12, 16, 20, and 25. I had my kids removed from my custody. Not the younger ones because I've been sober, but I had my older three removed from my custody six times. That's like crazy. I mean, who does that? Who gets their kids taken away and given back and removed six times? Me. Alcoholism wants us dead. Okay, so let's move back on. So we have those types of alcoholics. I believe that the ones that are a lot like me, where at the end of the day we want to dot, 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 you probably had all the boxes checked. You ever heard in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or even here in these meetings, some are sicker than others? I know people like to joke around and tease about that, but actually some are actually sicker than others. There are going to be people who come into Alcoholics Anonymous and they put down the drink and the drug and they progressively get better instantly. They get a job, they work the steps, do general basic stuff in Alcoholics Anonymous, and their life is fantastic. There is nothing wrong with them. In fact, they're due here in these seats just like the rest of us. But guess what, guys? There's going to be a majority of you that are going to need more than surface recovery. You're going to have to dig deep. This program teaches us that we're either spiritually growing or we're spiritually... or let me rephrase that. Rephrase that. We're either spiritually growing or we're going. Period. We're either in a progressive or we're in a regressive. And that is really true for the majority of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's okay. If you see somebody who like just can't get it together and they keep making mistakes in life or they keep coming back and picking up a white chip and they're not living the same recovery lifestyle that you are, don't be judgmental about it. You do not know where they came from. You do not know what boxes were checked on their journey here. Some people are going to have a much harder time than you are. 
And some people are going to be more resilient than others. So here's this crazy thing about alcoholism. So I have this progressive illness, especially when I'm putting in the substance in my body. It's killing me. The phenomenon of craving is but a manifestation of an allergy. So lots of us have allergies in here. I'm going to go specifically based on mine. I found out that I was allergic to penicillin when I was in the eighth grade. It was a crazy story. We were all having fun at my grandma's house. Me and my cousins were just doing what we did. We were always in trouble. And this neighbor next door, his name was Mr. Weaver, and he was a real jerk. He wouldn't let us step foot in his grass. He'd call the cops on us literally for playing in his yard. He was a real jerk. So this one specific day, I heard the ice cream man coming by my grandma's house. Me and my cousins darted out of the yard, darted out of her house, ran right across Mr. Weaver's yard. I'm telling you, I got struck down from him that day. As I was running through barefooted, I stepped on a yellow jacket bee. It literally pulled me to my, to the ground. I was in so much pain. My foot almost instantly blew up this big clear indication there was something wrong here. I found out I was allergic to yellow jacket bees. I got rushed over to the urgent care right down the street from my grandma's house. (coughs) They immediately took me in, gave me a shot, um, treated this allergy to the bee, and also sent me home with a prescription medication called penicillin because they wanted to prevent any possible infections from this experience. Within 24 hours, my entire body was covered in hives. The whole body. I had it everywhere. So back to the urgent care to find out that I had an, also had an allergy to penicillin. Blessfully, it's the only two allergies I have today. So my point on telling you this story is, number one, allergic to yellow jacket bees. The manifestation of that allergy is swelling. Allergic to penicillin, the manifestation to that allergy is hives. When somebody told me I was allergic to alcohol here in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was like, nope, I don't get swelling and I don't get hives. They're like, no, let me explain what the manifestation of this allergy is. You see a normal human being that drinks too much alcohol is going to reject it. But we have this weird thing that happens where instead of rejecting it, we actually invite more in. We have a craving for it. Our craving is so strong that, in fact, you will choose alcohol over your own children if you get it put into your body. That is what we like to call a phenomenon of craving, something that is so powerful that is going to take you out and all your loved ones on the path of destruction. And I said, I definitely have the manifestation of this disease that you're talking about. I've been doing it my whole drinking career. Here's an explanation of this manifestation. Okay, so it's Wednesday. I'm getting out of work. It's 5.15. I'm on my way home. I have two little girls. One is two. The other one is seven. I love my little girls more than anything in the world. I've already had child protective services in my life and I will do anything for them. But on the way home from work on that day at 5 15 PM, a thought comes across my mind that says, Hey, you should have one today. 
And then the rational part of my brain says, well, that would be stupid. You've never been successful at having one. And then the other part says, eh, it's just one. It's 515. You've got plenty of time to clean up a mess if something happens. And then the rational part says, don't do that. You have your daughter's dance recital, not tomorrow, but next Thursday. So the other part of my brain says, exactly. It's next Thursday. You'll have plenty of time. You already know what to do and how to do it. In fact, you've already stashed a bottle of something else to get you to go to sleep tonight on time. So you're up in the morning to go to work. It's genius. Don't do it. Do it. Don't do it. You'll be okay. Don't do it. Do it. And I do it. I tell myself with all honesty, I can definitely do this. And I head off to get one. I come home. I have one. My kids are having dinner. They're getting put into bedtime. And so now they're sleeping kind of early. So why not just have one more? I'll have one more. I got a bottle of X, Y, and Z that'll put me to sleep. If I'm in bed by midnight, I'll have my alarm set by six. I'll have plenty of time to have coffee, get ready, go to work. Everything will be fine. Now it's midnight. I'm feeling that icky, icky because I'm running out feeling. And I say to myself, just one more. I'll get home. I'll have the neighbors watching the house. I'll be able to take X, Y, and Z by 2 a.m. This will give me four hours of solid sleep. I'll get up. Everything will be fine. Of course, three o'clock. I have one more. This goes on. It's five o'clock in the morning now. And I say to myself, well, I'm not going to go to sleep now. So I definitely got to go get one more. I'm going to get one more. My alarm will go off. I'll take the kids to school. I'll come home. I'll call out. I'll sleep all day. I'll take X, X, Y, and Z, 8 o'clock this morning, and I'll wake up at 2, and I'll go pick up the kids, and everything will be fine. I drop the kids off at school. I'm paranoid. I'm back at the house, and I'm thinking to myself, the kids aren't here. I really don't feel tired, so I'm just going to go have one more. And the next thing you know, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. My kids got off at 2.30. I don't know who picked them up. I certainly can't go outside. Uh, My phone is ringing. I'm turning the ringer off because I cannot even handle the thought that somebody is calling me about my children. Now I'm full of guilt and shame and remorse, so I'm going to have one more. One more turns into one more. It's now, guess what? Thursday, next week. Seven o'clock at night on Thursday next week, my daughter's dance recital is starting any second now, and I am nowhere to be found. I'm hiding from everybody, including myself. That is a great description of the phenomenon of craving, if you ask me. I heard in a convention one time that this guy said, I have 35 years of sobriety. I love my life. I have a great wife. I have a great friends. I have a great program. I have a great car, a great job, yada, yada. And I wouldn't trade any of it in a million years for a million bucks for the first drink. I can agree. I have a great life. I have a husband. I own two businesses. I have two cars. I got all my kids back in my life. I have wonderful friends and family. I couldn't ask for anything more. I wouldn't trade it all in a million years for a million bucks for the first one. But here's the reality of alcoholism. I will trade 
all of it voluntarily for the second one. Because once I put it into my body, all bets are off. I know how to close my mind to the love of my children. I know how to hide from the guy who's willing to do anything to save me. I will shut it off and run. How do I know that? Because I've done it a hundred thousand times before. It says that we have to fully conceive to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. No reservations. Did I believe it? A hundred percent. But you want to know something really scary? I was taught that I can no longer safely drink alcohol, but crazy, crazy story. I could also no longer safely stay sober without it. The book says that first we straighten out spiritually and then we'll overcome the physical component of alcoholism. And I'm like, what? So like, I'm going to build a relationship with God and then I'm going to put down the drink. I mean, how does that work? So what I've realized through the years of watching a lot of people go through their stuff, including myself, God gives each and every single one of us what I'd like to call a grace period. We all get them. But the Almighty, the landlord, he has a different grace period with each and every one of us. Your grace period could be a day, could be a week, could be a month, could be months, could even be years. I don't really know. But I want to just be careful and grab a hold of the program of recovery as soon as I can. Because our literature says that eventually there is going to come a time and a day that the only thing that comes between you and the first one is your relationship with God. That is scary. We don't know when that's going to happen. Irritable, restless, and discontent. It says that the cycle continues over and over and over and over until we find the solution. So when I have irritable restlessness and discontentment in my life, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, I have found 101 solutions to fix it. They all work. And don't get me wrong, if I took a drink right now, I'd probably feel a little less stressed out, a little less anxious. It might solve some of my current moment feelings. But the real truth is, yeah, it'll work. But it will not work for long. Why? Because I have built a tolerance for everything I have utilized for a solution. Even the love of my own kids stops working. Can your kids be your recovery? No. But can they be a great motivator and asset to your recovery? Absolutely. Can your husband be your recovery? Nope. Can he be also a great supporter and motivator, inspiration to your recovery? Sure. In fact, all the things that I've received in my life can be a part of that journey. But when I make that or it the reason for my recovery, I will always build a tolerance for dot, dot, dot. 
Then I'm left alone again, eventually feeling the irritability, restlessness, and discontentment. And if I don't have the solution in my life, I will eventually reach for the thing that's going to take me out. Even when I think it's absolutely impossible, a drink is always going to be there. What do they say? We're only one an arm lengths away from a drink or one bad decision away from a drink. I believe that we're all creating reserve. And here's the truth about my reserve. I've been working really freaking hard at changing and growing and developing a relationship with God, guys. I mean, hard. I do not rest on my laurels. I'm constantly and let's grow constantly. But here's the funny thing about it. I run out of reserve by the end of the day. I'm in need to get plugged in on a regular basis. I was taught, and it might not be for everybody, but for me, I cannot live on yesterday's spiritual experience. It must be renewed. If it's not renewed, I backslide so quickly. Yeah, maybe I'm the girl that they could write a whole chapter about. Maybe I am sicker than others. I don't know. But I will tell you that it's not worth trying for it. Just keep on moving. So the physical component, I'm really shocked that that hasn't come off. Does that go off at 8.15 on the dot? Okay. Um, The physical component is one problem, right? We put down the drink and the drug. That is the solution for the physical component. We cannot solve the manifestation of the allergy unless the substance has been removed. Like this. Plopped. You're in a grace period right now. You removed it. Now you're in a grace period. What's going to end up happening is part two of this illness. It's the mental component of this illness. This is what we're going to talk about all next week. But just to give you a little bit of taste, our program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a big book, says that if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit drinking entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, two-question assessment, then you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Lack of power is our dilemma. We had to find a power greater than ourselves if we were going to solve the problem. Guess what, guys? Alcohol was never the problem. Alcohol had become our solution. We are the problem. The way that we see the world, our perceptions, our attitudes, and unfortunately the way our body breaks down the chemical. We are the problem. Alcohol was the solution, and alcohol unfortunately turned its back on us and began to make more problems than solutions for us. So if that be the case, and we need to find something more powerful than us or humans to solve it. Period. It says that we're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. That doesn't mean six months in treatment followed by outpatient, followed by sober living, followed by doing the steps 1,500 times, followed by a new pair of shoes and a phone room job giving you $100,000 a year. It doesn't say that anywhere. I mean, it's great. All those things could be possibly a seed planted or God putting people in your life. But that is not it. It says that we're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. A spiritual experience is described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in all different ways and forms. Spiritual, um, a God consciousness, um, an entire psychic change, a personality change, whatever floats your boat. That is the solution and cannot be had by humans. Why do I know that? Because I love my kids more than anything in the world and they could not produce it for me. I think I'm pretty smart. 
I couldn't produce it. The judge, the probation officer had a lot of power over me, but they certainly could not produce it either. It had to be something much, much bigger than that. So they began to talk about God. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So thank you guys so much for letting me share. Thank you. Man, that was some good stuff. Powerful. I'm looking forward to the weeks ahead. Let's give Bobby another round of applause, please. Uh, And now, I'd like to have the secretary up here for the report, James. Hi, my name is James, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And on the back of all the chairs, if you want to pay by Venmo, we have a little QR code you can scan with your phone. Oh, I didn't ask anybody to read the recovered statement. Does anyone want to volunteer? It's really short. Anybody? Thank you. Uh, Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. 1940s-style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor tonight? Oh, you need a sponsor? Awesome. If you want to um, stand over by the piano here, any recovered alcoholics can go talk to you tonight, okay? Uh, can we get a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Perfect. Someone go speak to this young lady after the meeting. Um, this is the last Thursday of the month. Do we have anybody celebrating an anniversary in March? If you just want to say, stand up. Awesome. Anybody else for March? Awesome. And we have some announcements tonight. Uh, the Broward County Intergroup. Um, oh, I have a little thing here. Is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is responsible for creating the where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institution Committee. It's responsible for bringing meetings into places uh, people like us can't get out of, like jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the schedule. Uh, We have Brian here who's raising his hand. If you need more information, you can link up with him after the meeting. Um, Hope Fest, we have a flyer in the back if you'd like to take it on your way out. Tickets are $5 on April 22nd at the one-on-one club. 
And my home group meets again on Monday nights at 7.15 upstairs on the third floor. It's a big book study. We'd love to have you there. Uh, we also have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. And we meet here every Thursday starting at 7.15. Um, we'll see you next week. So we have tonight's session, and we're going to have all the sessions to come on um, online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. And I'd like to invite everyone again to our Monday night big book study that James just talked about. We are relatively fresh into it, so we're in the beginning of the book. It's a great time to come and hang out with us, and it's it's, it's one of my favorite meetings, honestly. And uh, those who would wish to Thank tonight's speaker. Please line up down the center aisle. And now let us close with the Lord's Prayer. And who will bring us from shame to grace? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. No!
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the light. 
blessings when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah.